You're listening to Still Learning, a podcast all about learning styles and stories, where people describe pivotal learning moments in their lives, how they came to understand their own learning style or process, and what they are curious about or still learning today. My name is Katie. In this episode, I spoke with Meg Duffy. Meg coaches people, primarily women in the tech space, through meaningful career transitions, offering structure and support through what can be an intimidating and elusive process. In our conversation, we talk about how she came to that work and how her early experiences of learning and self-discovery have shed light continually on her own career trajectory and development. Meg also suggests some helpful questions and nuggets of wisdom from her perspective as a coach that I think can inform anyone's learning and self-inquiry process, whether or not you're on the brink of a career switch. It was such a pleasure to speak with her. Here's my conversation with Meg Duffy. Great. So I'd love to start at the, at the beginning with your background. And I asked you this question earlier, but is there an early learning experience that stands out for you? I loved that question. Um, you know, I was definitely a kid who loved to yes. school <laughs> all the way through. Um, just really enjoyed. I, I was also lucky that I had like some good teachers, um, but I loved learning new things. Um, I think what stands out though is all of the stuff that I did outside of school for fun. Um, if there's really a through line, it's that I just loved making things. Um, so whether I was writing stories in school or I was sewing clothes or creating Halloween costumes, I went through a big refinishing furniture phase. Um, I really enjoyed the process of taking an idea and making it real. Um, you know, as a young kid with my younger sister, I would just spend hours creating different worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and I would craft these intricate storylines about who the characters were and what they were doing and how their lives intertwined. Um, the toy per se didn't really matter. Um, it was really about creating personalities, backstories, and different roles to play. Um, I feel like those those types of independent learning experiences really stood out and shaped who I was today. Yeah, that's so cool. I think I am. I, um... I was at someone's house recently and they built a fort in their living room, you know, <laughs> like nice. quarantine inspired. But I, <laughs> I, it, it took me so vividly back to making forts with my brother. And yeah, some of these, this world creating that I think perhaps we're just so um, inclined to do already as children. And yeah, I love that idea of, you know, the, the toy itself didn't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. The process of making things. Yeah. And then I love to ask this question. It seems like, you know, similar in a similar vein, maybe, but do you have, to the extent that specificity is helpful, do you have any um, connection to yourself as a third grader? I'm thinking back to third grade times, you know, one of the activities from that time that really stands out, (laughs) I still have evidence of it uh, if you go to my mom's house, but I had my own radio show uh, in the sense that I was a 90s kid with a tape recorder and I would tape songs off the radio, but in between I would be the host. 
um, and also all the guests. <laughs> um, and like just going back to that time and listening to that tape is really fun because um, I just have no, there's no self-consciousness and there's no filter. Um, thinking about it as an adult, it seems a little strange that I was all of the characters on this show, but as a third grader, it made perfect sense. Yes. Okay. Well, I have a confession. I had a very similar <laughs> pastime. Nice. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think I recorded anything, but I remember having CDs that I would put in and out of this Walkman mm-hmm. and I'd pretend to be the radio host and yeah, do the ads in between songs. And I don't think I got as advanced as having guests and interviews, but <laughs> I love that. Oh, you're doing the ads. That's <laughs> if we could combine <laughs> our, our archival. Footage. Yeah. We'd have <laughs> yes. a whole station. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear. And this has, I have to say, also been such a through line, which is really informative um, for me as a teacher in a school setting, but so many people I've spoken to, when you ask about what is a pivotal learning experience for them, they, they reference something outside of school, outside of, you know, quote unquote school. And I think that's very telling. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And, you know, we do have these formal institutions and when we have maybe more agency and more awareness in terms of our, ourselves as learners and, you know, more developed as people anyway, um, what do you, what is your reflection on your formal education? Like when you, what you chose to study more like in college and since then, and how do you feel like that's impacted your work now or not? Yeah. So in college, I studied psychology. Um, the psychology piece definitely features prominently in my work today as a coach, um, just being familiar with different frameworks and theories that describe why humans operate the way they do provides a lot of context for my coaching conversations. Um, and later on, I got my master's in library science. Um, you know, I'm not a librarian now, but in retrospect, I think the library piece was an entry point to tech, even though I didn't know it at the time. Um, when I enrolled in the program, I had a vision of being an academic librarian. But once I got in and started uh, with some of the coursework, I realized I loved building tools. Uh, so for my thesis, I built out a collaborative archive for the Chinatown YMCA. In San oh, Francisco. I've worked there a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I helped them uh, prototype something for their 100th anniversary. Wow. They wanted a collaborative archive where they could upload materials and uh, the community could upload materials. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was fun to work together on that. You know, and that theme really translated to all of my jobs. Uh, so I built data collection tools when I was an archivist at the Metropolitan Opera. Um, I launched a merch site for the tech startup that I worked at. Uh, I've always loved helping my friends redesign their resumes and build websites. Um, and ultimately that culminated in my business because I'm a business of one. So I had to build everything, the website, the copy on the website, the workshops, the processes. Um, I found that when I engage in these activities, I really lose track of time and just get fully immersed mm-hmm. in the work. Yeah, that's so interesting that the the kind of scaffolding of data and the building of a tool is what allows you to be so free and in this flow state, it sounds like. Yeah, I, definitely a flow state. Maybe the first time we spoke, you mentioned something about your 
I think you call it like a wiggly noodle path. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And especially as someone who has this lens, helping people look at their resume and, you know, thinking about how do the dots connect? um, What is that like for you to do now in, in coaching and looking back at your own journey? Yeah. You know, I think having this wiggly noodle of a career really helps me take a step back and help other people connect the dots and see connections that they might not. Um, so in terms of my, my wiggly noodle, um, so I studied psychology. Mm-hmm. I graduated and started working as an ESL and special education tutor. I was also coaching cross country at that time. Uh, being in the high school system made me think about getting this master's in library science. Uh, in that program, I got interested in the technology aspect of things. When I got out, I started working as the archivist at the Metropolitan Opera, uh, which was a delightfully weird job. I had no expertise in uh, opera whatsoever. <laughs> um, but my job was to help the production department document every aspect of a performance. So when they put it in a box and then pulled it out a couple years later, they could very quickly recreate it. Um, That job was amazing and like such a delightful education. Um, But over time I realized I had reached the ceiling of where I could go in Mm -hmm. that role. You know, there was only one production archivist at the Met and no real career path. So I had to reimagine how I could use my skills in a different context. Um, which led me to make that move into tech. Um, so I eventually landed a role as the chief of startup, uh, chief of staff at a tech startup called Hopscotch. Yeah. Um, so they're still yeah. around. Hopscotch makes an app that teaches kids how to code um, using drag and drop blocks instead of text. A number um, of my students use Hopscotch. Trans- it's very cool. Oh, no. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. They oh, love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, when I made that transition, it was such a steep learning curve mm. because I was not only learning a new role at a small and growing company, like at that time we were 10 people, um, but I was also learning about the tech landscape as a whole. Culturally, it was very different than what I was used to. Um, and that adjustment took some time, but I think it really prepared me for the future. Um, after Hopscotch, I became the dean of the Grace Hopper program which was a coding boot camp for women and non-binary folks in New York City. Um, and through that experience, I recognized that one piece of my job that I loved was helping students through that job search process. Um, you know, I've recognized that one of my superpowers is having people kind of pitch their, their story and I can pull out some of the key elements and the whys behind those decisions. Um, That's always a powerful moment in coaching to be able to help somebody see connections that they might not uh, otherwise have seen before. Um, And I think I I cultivated that skill by having to figure it out for myself, you know, in terms of a through line in my own career, I've always been interested in building these tools and systems to help people do their best work. Um, I love building trust and connection with other people so they feel heard and supported. And I really love to see the outcome of my work, whether that's a published book or a client getting a new job, you know, having that work build to something tangible is really important to me. I love this idea of your superpower and really owning that as um, such a 
yeah, just such a helpful lens. And it reminds me of, I was speaking recently with um, an old um, friend and used to be my dance teacher. And she was mentioning the process of, um, you know, when you're creating work and then you put it out in front of people and this interchange between whether it's a resume or something you've written or a dance piece, you know, whatever it is, it's like, there's this moment when it goes from being your brainchild to, you know, received by an audience, whoever that is, and how do you receive the feedback? And, and as mm. a coach, you know, you're kind of constantly in that inter in the, that in between space, I would imagine helping people navigate, like, how is this going to be received? And, what it is, what they're hearing, what I want to be saying. Absolutely. Yeah. When I'm talking to people about their pitches, you know, I'll usually have them kind of go through, tell their story. I'll ask questions, uh, but then I'll frame it as I want to like, read back what I heard. Mm -hmm. So let me know if there's anything that I got wrong or that we need to move or change. Um, because a lot of times, uh, you know, People, people want to make sure that they're communicating what they, they feel like they're communicating. And so being able to mirror that back, I think, can be very useful in terms of just helping that person feel heard and also confirming, oh, yes, like that's what I meant to say. Right. So what have you observed in, in doing this for the last little chunk of time? Um, you know, are there any trends in terms of what people feel like they're communicating, but that doesn't really resonate or, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is connected to the question of identity and how do you conceive of who you are versus who you're looking to be in a, a work context? Um, how do you help people refine that, those questions? When I talk to clients about feeling stuck, I often find that there's a gap between who they are and who they want to be. And so they've got this vision of who they want to be and their career is a big part of it. Uh, but sometimes fears, different beliefs um, tend to get in the way. And so just being able to name some of those things, um, even if they're not in a place where they feel like they can move past them can be really useful to just see the situation as it is. Yeah. Um, as a coach, I see myself providing three things to clients. I'm there for structure, accountability, and support. Um, so each session has a focus and an exercise. So we're really structuring the problem and breaking it down into smaller pieces. After each session, I'm giving clients action steps that they can work on at home. Um, and in the next session, we review them. Um, you know, and inevitably when you know, stuff gets tough. I'm there to pump them up and remind them that they can do it. Um, you know, I always tell clients, I can't get you a job. I can't tell you what you want to do. Um, you know, the client really has to do that for themselves, but I can help take the teeth out of doing the work so that they can find those answers in themselves. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say with, with third graders, you have to name it to tame it around your, your feelings. Oh, I like that. I really like that. Yeah. And, and literally we talk about your emotions as like a, the lion inside of you <laughs> and that they're teachers and they're, they're awesome and they serve such a purpose. And yet I feel like as an adult as well, it's like you mentioned the, the fear and all of these 
feelings that are just really, they're there and naming them is maybe the most important thing. Definitely the first thing in terms of being able to keep moving. Yeah. And I also wanted to ask you more about this, this quote that you've been speaking about a little bit, but being stuck is a cultural condition, getting unstuck is a personal journey. How did you come to that as kind of um, a distillation of either your, your observations from your work or kind of mission statement for helping people go through this process? Yeah, I think that was like 20 pages of journaling distilled <laughs> into two quick sentences. Um, you know, so many folks that I talk to express this frustration of not innately knowing what they wanted to do yeah. from a young age. Um, and I'm one of those people too. I spent so much time in my 20s just agonizing over which one path was right for me. Um, you know, I think it's harder now to figure out what you want to do for a couple of reasons. If you have models of people in your life who had the same job for their entire career, that's very different than moving around um, every couple of years to a new institution. Uh, I think that the relationship that people have to their work has evolved over time. You know, work used to be a paycheck, a way to finance your life. Um, you know, and while meaningful work is not a luxury afforded to everyone uh, at these times, you know, folks who are privileged enough to enjoy those benefits have come to expect a lot. We're looking for something that aligns with our values, that is helping others, that's creating an impact, that's tapping into our talents, that lights us up. That's a lot to expect from work. I think it creates a, a really challenging correlation between um, you know, people viewing what they do as who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of the the personal journey piece, that that really comes from some great advice that I got from uh, a writer uh, that I really admire. Her name is Jocelyn K. Gly. Um, I emailed her. She's great. She has this podcast called Hurry Slowly uh, that I recommend to everyone. Mm. But I emailed her when I was starting my business, trying to figure out what to do next. Um, I actually wrote down what she sent me. Uh, I asked her, you know, what, what should I do? <laughs> and she wrote me and said, for the moment, I would say, just try to carve out some space for thinking. Just get up 30 minutes earlier and use that time to sit at a local coffee shop and a notebook with zero agenda and just track what comes up. And just do that for two or three days a week until you start to see some ideas emerging pointing arrows and intuitions and next steps will gradually start to emerge. And I think that's such good advice and yet such challenging advice. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you're as a person who loves to operationalize and, you know, collect the information, keep the spreadsheets, being a coach and also just tracking my own career transition has made me realize that, sometimes you need to cultivate your intuition and listen to what's best for you. You know, that for me has been one of the biggest lessons is you can only talk to so many people and get advice and collect information. But at the end of the day, the personal journey piece is what feels right for me and practicing listening to that intuition can be just as important as sourcing all the facts. Yes. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. And I think it can feel really daunting 
to, to many people to what is that, what, what does that feel like? Um, that it's, that it's a muscle. So yeah, I like that framing. It's a muscle. It's like you're going to the gym trying to strike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have the, the space for thinking, like you're saying to carve out that time to allow it to emerge and to, to just observe, um, you're, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to, to build any strength, um, or it's going to be a lot harder. So, right. What are some of the ways that you cultivate intuition? Oh, I love that question. Um, really getting, getting quiet, um, getting quiet and getting embodied. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggled with that second piece for a while, um, because, as a person who gets in their head a lot, it can be tough for me to check in and figure out, okay, where, where does my intuition live in my body? Um, it took me a long time to realize that for me, it really does show up in my gut. Um, and it's just like a very quiet knowing. So in order to be able to hear it, I need to spend time away from devices, away from other people, away from Spotify and podcasts, um, for me, that takes the shape of meditating, of running or going for walks, um, sometimes doing yoga, um, although sometimes uh, I'm not able to, to check in with my gut as much because that's, that's a little too intense of an exercise for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also wonder about yoga just as a total sidebar. It's like it's become so much of a cultural activity and I mean, less so now, but with class and classes and a social experience, like I, I've had many a yoga class where at the end I'm like, well, I feel great, but you know, I, like, I don't, I don't feel like I went inward at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I, I tend to stay kind of in my body, but not necessarily checking in uh, as to what's going on emotionally. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think the head versus body conundrum is such an interesting question. I think especially I would imagine as a, as a coach and thinking about career, I mean, that's such a, that's such a heady place. Um, you know, I'm, I'm qualifying it, I guess, in a certain way, but to think, oh, this is what I want to do. And this is my resume. And that can feel very much like thinking, 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 planning versus this, other side of the coin, which is just as important, like what feels right, where am I drawn to, helping people develop a vocabulary for speaking that language, I would imagine, is a really, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, one of the expectations that I usually have to set up front is that it is a slower process. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to solve all your career woes in one session because we really do have to sit, uh, you know, uncover some of the facts and the truths, but then sit with it for a little bit and see how that feels. Because there's a lot of information that can come from just sitting and seeing, having that conversation resonate. Um, so setting that expectation from the beginning, I think, is really important um, to to just let folks know that it's, it's not a speedy process. I wanted to go back 
Meg, to something you were saying, I mean, I feel like this is an evolving conversation I've been having for the last decade of my life or <laughs> with different people, um, just about this space of, you know, why are we agonizing so much over these questions of career and my life's work versus who I am? Like, why does, you know, versus, yeah, I, I very much relate to a lot of the models in my life in terms of my parents' career, you know, like have you know one career for decades and um, this kind of shifting and evaluating of, is this aligned with my values enough to be meaningful and worth it? I mean, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, it's a luxury to be able to agonize about work because for so many folks, you know, there's not a lot of choice. Um, For folks who are in this situation, I think there's a lot of programming around it that is challenging to shake, you know, whether, I think that's where the the aspect of intuition really comes in. Um, I talk to so many folks, particularly folks in the arts, where, you know, being in the arts right now is kind of a struggle because you're trying to make ends meet um, in an industry that isn't necessarily compensating people for the amount of work uh, that you're doing. And so helping people try to figure out, here are the things that I love, but like what, how can I craft a life that has this thing in it without having it like, does it have to be the center? You know, if I'm an mm-hmm. artist, do I have to be a professional artist? Um, can I be, can I teach others art? Can I do my art on the side? Like what, what's the combination of things that I need in my own life to feel fulfilled? Um, and I think that's, those are the conversations to me that are really interesting is like, what ideas have we internalized about work? and what it needs to look like, and how can we imagine something that is really personalized, that fits you know, that person's own needs. And then how is learning constant, you know, continual learning a part of that calculus in terms of what's the combination of things that makes me feel fulfilled? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so fascinating to see even like jobs that exist today that didn't exist five years ago. Um, you know, the landscape is just changing so rapidly over time. And I think we're moving into this era where, you know, people, people have to constantly keep learning for work. It's not really an option anymore to just coast. And so thinking about it from that perspective, if you have to keep learning for your whole career, what do you want to pick up? What, what feels like engaging and exciting uh, learning to you? I think it's really key. Right. And then from that experience, you have more data in a way, right? To do that kind of thinking (laughs) and allowing things to resonate. Yeah. And I think there's, there is a freedom in it in the sense that, you know, there are more choices, but you can also like, there's no real mistakes. You know, I think a Mm. lot of times, I talk to folks that feel like, oh, I'm like 25 and my career is like, it's too late for me to start something new. And I'm <laughs> well past 25 and I just want to be like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Coming from a person who has made many shifts over the course of her career, like 
it's not it's not too late. I've worked with people who are in their 50s and 60s who go through boot camps and become software developers. And I think those stories are fantastic because it shows you like there's really no point at which you're done learning. You can always reinvent yourself. Mm. Yeah, there's more, you said there's more choices and there's no real mistakes. Mm -hmm. Say more about that in terms of what, how do, how do you think people are viewing mistakes in terms of their career journeys right now? Yeah, I think you definitely see it a lot in COVID times. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of conversations with folks who are scared to make, uh, you know, make a career shift, even switch jobs. Um, And I get that because there are financial repercussions if things go wrong, right? Um, You know, it's a very tumultuous time. Um, But that being said, I think there are ways, there are ways to try careers on for size in a way that doesn't require you to make a full shift. You know, when people are learning new skills, I often encourage them, like, just build a little project if you're a developer or if you want to become a project manager or a designer. You know, there are ways that you can build those skills on the side, maybe volunteering for an organization or helping a friend that just let you test out the nuts and bolts of that job and see see if you get into that flow state, see if you enjoy it. Hmm. That's great advice. Um, I love that. Just build a little project. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to, (laughs) you know, go get a master's degree. It's like, okay, if you are able to just test it out, take a couple of courses on the internet and then build something, how does that feel? You know, you can always Mm -hmm. build those skills further and take them further, but you don't have to fully commit to, you know, a couple years worth of education when you're just curious about something. Well, in that vein, I'm wondering if there is any other practical advice or specific kinds of questions that you found are really helpful for people who are thinking about this, whether they're interested in potentially doing a more focused coaching uh, practice with you or something similar. Um, Where do you recommend people start? Yeah. um, So in terms of my own coaching practice, um, I, so I recently wrote a book, uh, it's a workbook that's very structured and kind of helps people start thinking about some of these bigger questions. Um, it's called find your way forward. I can, I can share a link to it. Um, but it really starts the process of just exploring a career evolution, like a treasure hunt. You know, there's lots of questions asking, what did you like to do when you were a kid? What classes let you up in school? What projects did you start when you were bored with school or your job? Um, And so just being able to get some of those truths down on paper, I think can be really useful. Um, You know, and then as I mentioned before, getting some space from those questions, really checking in with your gut and seeing, you know, what your intuition is telling you. Um, My personal technique when I'm trying to figure something out is to go for a long walk with a notepad and no phone. Um, and so that act of moving my body helps me process and check in without distractions. Um, and the notepad allows me to capture anything that bubbles up. Um, it's also a way that I'm able to see where I get stuck because sometimes there's a limiting belief that gets in the way. Um, and I think that's, you know, once you've started thinking about some of those questions, that's really where a coach can help um, because you're able to bring in another person 
to reflect your experience back at you, but possibly suggest other patterns or insights that you haven't necessarily been able to see because you're so close to the problem. Mm. Mm -hmm. But you've entered at least a little bit into the territory of thinking and processing and getting some of it down. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, your book sounds amazing. And I also wanted to ask you about the, the course that you mentioned that you've developed um, in terms of what sounds like it also involves a, a more collaborative social element to this process. Yeah. So in January, I'm launching a course called Bloom. Um, and that's really for folks who are ready to job search. You know, they've got a rough idea of the type of roles that they're looking for, uh, but they just want more support. And so it's a six-week course that takes you from, you know, really week one is anticipating the obstacles for your job search and clarifying the why behind your search all the way through um, structuring your job search, resume, LinkedIn review, interview prep, um, and finishing with negotiation. So negotiating that offer. Um, but the fun thing that I'm really looking forward to is that we'll be doing it in a group. Um, so it will have a nice community dynamic in addition to um, some of the educational pieces that I'll be delivering. Um, I'm excited uh, as a person who misses uh, community in so many ways uh, to just be working yeah. through some of these bigger questions uh, with other people. Yes, it's a really challenging time, I think. Yeah. Well, in so many ways, but to be, to be career search, job searching, asking these big questions. Yeah. I mean, that's another kind of related question I had for you is there's the more um, obvious moments of transition when maybe you're let go from a job or you feel very intensely that, you know, I need to stop this. I want a change. Um, and then there's the more ambiguous territory of, um, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this role or these roles and I feel okay about them in some ways and confused about them in other ways. Um, what do you recommend in terms of, I mean, do you think people in terms of an, the process of being introspective about work and identity, do you think it's something and learning, do you think that that's something that everyone should be doing? Or is it more that like when it comes up for you, it comes up and that's when you engage in it? I think it's really useful to just always be checking in periodically um, because you can save yourself a lot of time. <laughs> uh, that's something that mm. I haven't necessarily been good at in the past. I usually have waited until things got to a head before I decided to do anything. Um, but, you know, if you are just checking in, you know, even just once a month, um, or you could have a daily practice of just reflecting on what works well today. You know, if several days are going by and you're not really having any wins, that's some interesting information. You know, what, what small changes could you make along the way to improve that? That's great. Yeah. I mean, often with, with kids, we'll do some, you know, like a kind of like fist to five, like one to, you know, not so great to five. Like it was really great, you know, just reflecting on like every, little activities. Like how was that group <laughs> project for the last 30 minutes? You know, what's something that well, went well about it? What's something that you would like some help problem solving? And I used to do these as kind of just like a transitional device between <laughs> activities. Um, and then I realized it, it, it was, it was kind of, 
inspiring and cool how how much just giving an opportunity to reflect regularly throughout the day like okay that just happened how did right. that go <laughs> um becomes yeah another way of building a muscle i really like that just like constant reflection throughout the day of okay how was that cool well i'd also love to ask you in relation to this really interesting work that you're engaged in and helping people with and your own learning process or just totally apart from that <laughs> is there anything that you're learning right now or are or are excited about right now yeah i mean right now December is always a time to, I, I'm a big fan of the annual review and reflection. Um, and something that is very tricky this year is thinking about how to goal set uh, for <laughs> a relatively uncertain future. Um, yeah, yes. so I'm just kind of in the process of reflecting on what I've done this year um, and really thinking about what how can I move towards the things that I want um, in a way that feels authentic and also possible in these times? Uh, I don't have a good answer yet. So I guess that's something I'm still learning about myself. Well, you know, just ha holding the question maybe is the most important. <laughs> that's true. 